John Brady, what is your favourite game? My favourite game is Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty. first get into gaming basically um geez when i was about i think i was either six or seven years old uh my dad who's never retired used to work for customs and excise what's now part of from agency's revenue and customs and uh, a buddy of his at work was uh, selling his old playstation and he had geez how many games did he have with it i can't remember anyway point is um he bought this playstation off of him uh, and it came with uh red racer revolution the uh, second red racer Ah, yeah. Um, that Namco made basically the uh, console port of the arcade game Red Racer 2. And I, I was terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was great. How, how long ago was that? Well, I say I was six, so that would have been 17 years ago, so 1997. Yeah, around the same time I got my PlayStation as well. Yeah. Thing is, it was one of the early launch models as well. One of the ones that had the great big serial port at the back. Yeah. Um, so, of course, um, it died <laughs> about three months later. Oh. <laughs> Aye. Um, he'd actually bought it because my sister, who's a couple of years older than me, had gotten a PlayStation the Christmas before. And I kind of sat and watched her play Tomb Raider 2 and V-Rally kind of going, I want to do that. But, of course, she never gave me a shot. So, mm. my dad obviously thought it was time to... Uh, Kind of give me a chance to play as well. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned other games there. Do you remember what they were, or was it just Ridge Racer? I want to say Crash Bandicoot as well, I think. Mm, yeah. um, and my dad started buying the original official PlayStation magazine that came all the demo discs as well. Yeah. So most of the time it was either Ridge Racer, Crash Bandicoot, or whatever demos were on a demo disc that week. Yeah, uh, and then it started expanding here or there. Like once in a while, we my dad would take me to Toys R Us and we'd buy whatever games were cheap because you know they did mm. after the Platinum series, they did those kind of value series ones with a little yellow band along the bottom of the box, and yeah. they were going for about ten or so. I picked up Toka and the original Colin McRae Rally, and just basically started building up this repertoire of racing games, which is pretty much all I wanted to play when I was younger because I just I was obsessed with cars, like most young boys are. Further <laughs> mm. down the line talk about that further down the line yeah how far down the line are we going like, <laughs> as far down the rabbit holes we can go well this is where this is where i can embarrass myself because uh, if we cut to say about 2000 or so mm. um when the playstation 2 came out and my mum dragged me into town one day and it turns out she'd actually obviously i mean it was christmas was coming up she'd pre-ordered a playstation 2 and there was some pre-launch event thing going on which I didn't know about and I'm not going to lie because I was 9 years old at the time I cried when I found out I was going to get a play a Playstation 2 a month early I cried that little sad bastard <laughs> <laughs> and this was I mean this was after you know kind of building up a repertoire of games so you know Rage Racer Rage Racer Type 4 had come and gone uh, Gran Turismo Gran Turismo 2 I just pretty much breathed racing games for um, a good part of my childhood 
And then the PS2 came along, and what did I get? I thought, oh, I was ready to rumble boxing. Yeah, me, me as well. That was a beautiful, beautiful game. If only because I loved playing it with um, essentially my adoptive grandfather. Um, I always went Rumble Man and knocked him out the ring just because it was funny. Yeah, <laughs> I used to try and unlock all the co- the like the higher combo. Um, not or ah, I'm trying. Yeah, to the kind of the white the white Rumble combo that you yeah. can knock out the ring. Yeah. The worst thing was Rumble Man's taunt unlocked that right away. Yeah. So I just kind of wait until whoever I was playing against had given up on trying to punch me and did a little taunt and then knocked him in the ring, which meant that nobody played it with me for a while after that. <laughs> but then... Um, like, 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 sorry, like, what else were... Um, was it just Ready to Rumble at the time? Because, like, I remember Ready to Rumble being part of mine, but there was also Ridge Racer as well, Ridge Racer 5. Uh, I mean, I loved... I still do, I still love Ridge Racer a bit. Um, the, the classic ones, I really couldn't give a toss about... Um, Unbounded or anything like that. No offense to Bugbear because those guys know how to make a good racing game, just not one that's called Ridge Racer. But um, yeah, I picked up Ridge Racer Five a little while after that, along with a certain game called uh, Zone of the Enders, which I know you're quite oh, a big fan. Imagine the secret word. Imagine the secret word. Everybody <laughs> wins. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but um, actually, quite crucially, of course, that came with a certain demo disc in the first run. Of, of course, Metal Gear Solid 2, mm. which kind of brings us full circle here, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to lie, uh, I played the demos on the Enders, thought it was kind of cool. Um, I played it mainly because it had Hideo Kojima's name attached to it, because the PS1, uh, obviously I played Metal Gear Solid 1, um, and obviously at the age of 9 or 10, skipped through every single cutscene and just got to the bit where I could shoot people, because <laughs> I didn't understand anything that that game was talking about at that age. <laughs> uh, I just thought I was cooler than my friends because I knew what a hind D was and they didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, I actually picked up Zone of the Enders mostly for that demo disc I'm not going to lie I mean I fell in love with that game afterwards but oh, yeah. a, a good number of people probably bought that game because it came with a demo of Metal Gear Solid 2 what a year a year or so before the actual game came out I think yeah but a year to six months technically that would be called these days the Halo Crackdown effect <laughs> Aye, that's very true. <laughs> not that I was in from a crackdown. crackdown no, definitely no, definitely not. PlayStation Two, we've gone over. What else? Well, I suppose it. What else is on PS Two after that? Uh, the Burnout series, just the whole damn series. Um, love those games to bits. I remember playing the first one, um, and oh, that was such a frustrating game because yeah. the collision detection was just crazy on it. I remember that um, that you just skim a wall and you'd spin out and you'd fly all over the place. I mean, it was. Really, really advanced game at that point because you hadn't seen cars crash like that. Um, but God, it was just so frustrating. And then Burnout 2 came along and it was just fantastic. Just the way they nailed the sort of the glossy America feel of it all. Mm. Like, like to be honest, I haven't really gotten into Burnout. Um, I, like, I'd only played a demo of 2. up and, uh, But then after that, I, that was when I got into the series with 3. And like, 3 was just amazing. 3, I would, I mean... If the number of games I'd happily see being being done in an HD remake is very, very slim, but I would happily see Burnout 3 come back oh. as it is, because that's every time I come across it, I come across the guys from replay events sometimes, and they always seem to bring Burnout 3 with them, and I can't resist just jumping on and having a quick shot on Road Rage, because yes, me it is just such a compulsive game, and it was just the sweet spot between kind of 
you know, EA's kind of corporate lean on everything and the game still being great in its own right. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It wasn't like when you booted up um, Burnout Revenge and it goes, hey, you've unlocked a Madden van. And you think, brilliant, yeah. that's exactly what I was looking for in this game. Thank exactly. you. Um, but, oh, it was just, I mean, Burnout 3's soundtrack, I mean, you know. Yeah. When, I, the when it came out, I was, what, 12, 13-ish? So that was yeah. when I was kind of like, oh, yeah, pop punk, this sounds great because I'm so troubled and sad inside because I'm a teenager. <laughs> Uh, but there were so many great artists that time. Chuck Vance, Birdman, Bon Blondies, Ash. Oh, that's just name. Jeez, Ash. Um, OK Go as well before they were really big. Yeah. Uh, yellow cards. Um, oh, jeez. Uh, God, Shoot Cult as well. The Ramones. Uh, Del Revolver. Yeah, that's. Alice Chains. Yeah. That was that was a ridiculously good soundtrack in that game. It was. It was. Though, admittedly, not as good as Paradise. No, but then Paradise was kind of a best of because I had a bunch of the music from Burnout 2 as well, yeah. which was pretty great. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, like, we'll come back to Paradise later on, but like, um, oh, that soundtrack was just really good, Paradise. So it was mean, just such a fantastic game. Yeah, really, really. It was just that sweet spot before they kind of went a bit too far, I think, with Revenge and tried to do too much with it. Mm, definitely, definitely. wasn't a bad game by any stretch just the whole traffic checking thing it kind of made you feel a bit too invincible and the whole point of Burnout is that you feel constantly on edge yeah um, trying to avoid things so, I don't know I mean it wasn't a bad game but they it wasn't it wasn't Burnout 3 you know <laughs> mm, fair enough yeah definitely I mean like don't get me wrong I love Paradise but like nothing can beat the sweet satisfaction of a takedown more than, uh, than Burnout 3 oh god and especially in the road rage mode where it was just you got, you get you hit that sweet point you kind of hit that flow where it was just constant takedown 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 yep uh, like I, I, I used to remember doing a few road rage events in Burnout 3 and I just felt invincible each each hit I was reaching towards the gold and even after I passed the gold I just kept going and going and going and going until the timer eventually ran out I never managed to finish and I remember there was achievements that you'd get extra cars for in the game like yeah. doing a certain number of takedowns in a race and stuff and there was a couple I never managed and I remember one of them that's never ever never going to forget it where you had to take down two people in a race by ramming them into an articulated truck never really understand how anybody managed that because I could never find two articulated trucks in the same race <laughs> <laughs> but, oh jeez yeah, uh, okay, Sarah, Sarah. Suppose we bring it on a bit forward. When the PS3 came out, I remember that. Because mm. that's the first time I bought a console on launch. Yeah. Uh, bought a Motorstorm. And uh, I remember it. La- the actual PS3 lasted about four days because the uh, TV shelf it was on collapsed. Oh! <laughs> Me, I came home from school one day with a, a dented PS3. <laughs> oh! I felt quite bad for my dad because he bought the TV stand at Vargos and it was a trashy piece of shit to be honest. And it was on these the, the the kind of the stand that it was always on these really kind of flimsy feet that were secured under the stand and the feet had just given way. Oh, oh the glass tray that it was almost smashed, the PS3 had a big dent in the front of it. I got the disc out and then I phoned Sony and they go, Yeah, it's gonna be two hundred and twenty five pounds if you want a new one. Wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, again, I feel bad for my dad because he, he stumped up for it. <laughs> he oh. says, I'm sorry, I know you've just spent, it's the first big investment I've ever bought. <laughs> it just got a dent in it because of a lousy TV stand. <laughs> no, it's not that, it's just, I figured, why couldn't Sony cover it under the warranty, like, instead of... It's accidental damage, that's the thing. Ah. That old man, D.I. That's right, oh, okay, fair enough. 
Oh, jeez. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't even know where to go from there because there's been that many games that I've played since then. Ah, fair <laughs> it's enough. just insane. Oh, okay, fair enough. Like, what about Xbox 360? Uh, I never actually had an Xbox 360. I've never owned a Microsoft console. Wow. I borrowed one from time to time. I reviewed Rage on the Xbox 360 and SSX and the 360 ages and ages ago. Um, and I remember borrowing a 360 from that. But that's about as close as I've come to owning one. I guess that's kind of it. Oh, PS4 as well. Yeah, um, PS4 I bought with Killzone Shadowfall. Actually, yeah, I remember uh, I was working night shift the night before and I was actually off that day. And I remember I finished night shift in the morning. Uh, the PS4 wasn't getting delivered till like lunchtime or so. So I um, I went straight to Tesco after I finished work at 7 o'clock in the morning and thought I'm going to buy myself another game. So I bought Need for Speed Rivals as well. So I had uh, a couple of things to play that day. And uh, I remember starting up Kills on Shadowfall and thinking, this looks, this looks pretty nice. And then I played it for about two hours and got bored. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was not Kills on 3 or 2, which were both oh, excellent games. Kills on 3 was not a very excellent game in my opinion, in terms of story analysis. No, no, sorry, but, I mean, those games pushed the PS3 to the absolute limit. Oh, they did. Oh, they did. Those in Uncharted just pushed that console to the absolute limit. Oh, they did. And don't get, don't get me wrong, Shadowfall's a pretty darn good looking game as it is, it's just... It's, it's just hollow, and they took away the one thing I loved about the Killzone series and all the games they're doing, is that the guns were so weighty and heavy. Mmm, Yeah. I Which, I mean, some people didn't like. They thought it was too sluggish, but I thought, well, if you're carrying a great big heavy gun and you're, like, covered in space marine armour or whatever, you, that's what you kind of want it to feel like. Mm-hmm. You want to feel kind of sluggish and slow and heavy. Which I didn't mind, actually. The same with, I mean, the sprinting and stuff as well. It just all felt really, really bulky, but in a good way. Mm-hmm. And then in Shadowfall, that just all disappeared. and I, it, it lost something because of that, I think. I think it was definitely missing something. That and uh, the, what was it called, the owl? The little kind of gadget thing you controlled with the touchpad and the controller yeah. in Shadowfall. It didn't really add much. I mean, it was fun enough just like saying, oh, set up a shield here or fight these guys, but mm. it just, I don't know. It, it didn't add much to it. didn't really add much to it. I would have much rather had big heavy guns than an owl thing. <laughs> <laughs> How did you get into the industry, basically? Just talk about that. Um, well, about... Oh god, how six years ago just about? I started uni doing a software development course. Hmm. And at the same time, I just started blogging for this American site called Sarcastic Gamer, which some people might remember because they did some kind of parody covers of songs like uh, How to Save a Life and things like that. Uh, and I, I brought on board because I started writing on their kind of community blogs and things like that. And they said, you want to start writing for the site as our UK guy? So uh, that started. And after a while, I just started reaching out to people over here saying, you know, I'm the UK guy for this site. Would you mind sending us up with some review copies and stuff? You know, I mean, it wasn't the biggest site in the world, but we got enough visitors that obviously PRs and stuff obviously thought we were worth of um, passing some games along to and that's pretty much how I got started and just from there um, that's just been it really working away and doing that and just reviewing things most of the time <laughs> that's just basically I don't mind I mean I like reviewing games I like picking them apart and seeing what makes them tick and thinking things to really love about them it's just there's always a moment where you feel like you get a game recently what have I been reviewing Grid Autosport there was just a moment I realised I was driving this really high powered Pagani Zonda just this really high powered supercar 
through the streets of Paris and I just kind of noticed what they'd done to the handling because in Grid 2, the game that came before it, um, you were very kind of free to throw the car around and just kind of pull the handbrake and it would always work out. But in this game, the car felt a little bit heavier. You could feel kind of the tyres on the edge of grip starting to let go. And when you're winding your way through Paris at 170 miles an hour, it, it, it was nice being able to kind of feel that and know that. Uh, it's nice just where moments in games just click and you sort of understand what they're trying to do or in the case of a bad game you understand what they were trying to do just didn't quite manage to do it <laughs> I guess I, don't know, I guess that's what I like why I like writing about games sometimes because there's always just that point where they click and they either make amazing sense or you at least get what they were trying to do oh, yeah. but you understand why they weren't able to manage it talk about Big Red Barrels, well, because obviously you've left Stochastic Gamer for a long time now. Yeah, um, these days, um, I, I mean, um, Stochastic Gamer just kind of folded, um, and a bunch of the guys that were um, at Stochastic Gamer set up Big Red Barrel instead, and it's it's mostly in the same sort of vein, I and mean, we do a lot of podcasts every week, a lot of people listen to all those podcasts, um, they're still written content and the like, we do a little bit of video stuff here and there. Most recently, actually, we've started doing a lot of event stuff. Mm. So we run the Tabletop Tuesday event uh, loading in London every Tuesday night and we do some great partnerships with some board game companies to get stuff brought along we give it prizes every week uh, and that's worked out really well for us but we've also done the uh, Scottish Car Show mm. for the past couple of years uh, last year in Glasgow, this year in Edinburgh um, and we've done really, really well at that in terms of just getting our name out there in terms of event management which seems to be kind of the... Um, USP, if you like, of Big Red Barrel, because, you know, there's so much, everybody, every site can do reviews and the like, but everyone's got their own spin on it, whether it's the writers or whether it's the sort of features they do, but for us, it's the, the events that we're capable of putting on. Um, so this year at the uh, Scottish Car Show, we had Drive Club for the first time for the public in the UK, uh, Little Big Planet 3 for the first time for the public in the UK, Minecraft on the PS4 and PS Vita for the first time for the public in the UK. Um, we got Codemasters sending us stuff to give away, we got Ubisoft um, giving us prizes to give away any uh, Trials Fusion contest, we had the guys from Replay Events bringing along retro consoles, and we had uh, Boneloaf bringing along a brand new build of Gang Beasts, which hadn't been debuted before, um, as well as uh, a couple of board game companies bringing along stuff for people to try out, uh, and it all went down really, really well. People were really, really receptive to it, and people were really excited to try and drive club, which um, went down really well as well. So um, that seems to be a bigger about thing at the moment, is that we're great at putting on game events, and we're looking to expand with other stuff that I can't say anything about it at the moment. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, if you need a gaming-related event putting on, then it's definitely worth giving us a shout because we're, st- we're starting to work out what we're doing, you know? So, let's move on then. To the big one, your favourite game, Metal Gear Solid 2, Sons of Liberty, which is, to be honest, a game that I find to be within my own list of favourite games ever. Like, if I, had a top, if I had a top 10, like, I don't really have a top 10 as such, I don't think I have a top 3, but like, if I had a top 10, that would definitely be in there. Um, so, talk about your foray in the Metal Gear series, I mean, like, you were talking about Metal Gear Solid there for the briefest of minutes there at the start of the show. Um, yeah, well, I started out with the first Metal Gear Solid. I remember I... I it's scary, I can remember all this. I remember 
Uh, well, I say I bought it. I mean, my dad bought it for me because mm. <laughs> I was, what, 10 years old at the time, I think, 9 or 10, um, from an electronics boutique shop back when electronics boutiques still existed over here uh, in East Kilbride, which is a town, well, a big shopping centre right near uh, where I grew up. Uh, um, that shop, I think, is now Farm Foods, so that goes well for what to electronics boutique. <laughs> But um, no, I remember bought it. It was a platinum version, so it was a while after the actual game came out because I tried the original demo of the game, which is set in the um, the opening sequence where you're at the dock and going up in the lift. Yeah. And it ends. The demo ends just after the Darpa Chief dies. Never got to that point in the demo because I was rubbish at it. That was back when I was eight or so, back in 1999 when the game actually came out. But after a while of trying and dying a lot, I actually started to get the hang of the proper game. I thought, I've bought this game, I should invest some time in it and learn how to play it. Mm. Needless to say, I still killed everybody, so I didn't really understand the whole point of Metal Gear Solid being that you meant to sneak around people and cause as, as little disturbance as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, because I was, you know, nine or ten years old at the time, I skipped every single cutscene, yeah. which meant that when the DARPA chief died, I, number one, didn't even know who he was, and why there was a dead man on the floor. Because you don't actually see him until the cutscene begins. <laughs> I just wondered why there was a dead man on the floor. And why I was shooting at guards two minutes later with someone with a woman's voice. I was I was very, very confused. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I revisited it a few years later. Not a few years later, but a year or so later. And kept the cutscenes on. Um, so I actually understood the story and who Snake was and what everyone was talking about in the codec conversations. Um, and it, it spoke to me a little bit because um, I've always been kind of... I like watching the news. I like reading the newspaper. Uh, and that started me pretty young. I started watching the news properly. I'd sit and watch the news from quite an early age. I'd read a paper from quite an early age as well, even if it was just a tabloid thing, like the Daily Record over here, which is basically in a way a Scottish Daily Mirror it's published by the same people as the, the Daily Mirror mm. um, and you know I, I felt like I was learning about the world a bit and you know here was a game that was talking about things like nuclear weapons and stuff you know stuff that's quite real and things like the Start Treaty and stuff which you know when you're young and you start googling that stuff and find out it's real you go wow that's it's a game that's got parallels with real life that's, that's kind of cool um, and obviously you had um, Snake, who was just a badass character. Oh, of course. I mean, I had no idea who Snake Plissken was at that point. I had no idea about any of the films, like The oh. Thing, Guns of Navarone, uh, North by Northwest, anything that had influenced the um, the series. Because you, you might remember, if you read the magazine back then, that for a while the official PlayStation 2 magazine ran a series of columns by Hideo Kojima. I remember that. Um, in which he talked about his favourite films, like as, um, the aforementioned Guns of Navarone, North by Northwest... The thing, uh, Escape from New York, and so on and so forth. Yep. Um, yep, that rings a bell. And North by Northwest has actually gone on to become one of my favourite films because I sought it out just because it was apparently such a big influence on Metal Gear Solid and it has become one of my favourite films. Um, yeah, I mean, Metal Gear Solid kind of struck a tone with him because I liked things that kind of had resonance with real life. I mean, it was fun enough playing Wood Racer, but. Sometimes something I just wanted something that kind of tied into life a little bit, and um, I, I felt smart playing it in a way because um, I liked feeling smart as a kid. Because you know every, everyone likes feeling smart as a kid. They, they like oh, yeah. knowing 
you like thinking that they're cleverer than everyone else. Sorry, but that was just me being dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, You're with that. <laughs> but, but, like, to be fair, like, my kind of um, first foray in the series wasn't Metal Gear Solid itself, like, although I did play the demo. Um, it was actually Metal Gear Solid 2. Metal Gear, I actually, like, Metal Gear Solid 2 was the first mature game that I ever played, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, like, I hadn't played MGS1, so, like, I was, but I knew of Snake, obviously, so, like, um, I selected the option which said I've not played MGS1, so I assumed this was it. Um, uh, like at the same, like I, I knew I was going in to play a snake, or at least I thought I was going to play a snake, but I was going into the big shell, and I knew I'd seen the screens of this big tanker uh, with snake on it. I was like, hang on, this isn't a tanker. And then as you go on the left, uh, you see Raiden take off his mask, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. That's not Snake, and then the colonel turns to your code name, the right, and I was like, what the fuck? Bullshit. Now, there was a very good reason behind that, because some people that did start the game got riding right away, didn't they? Yeah, that was me, basically. I'm, I'm trying to remember why that was. It was, it was for those who had not... Oh, it was, the, it was, it asked you at the start, didn't it? Yeah, that's If you'd was... asked, if you played Metal Gear Solid before. Yeah, that's what I was trying to, um, that's what I was saying there. Like, if you've not played MGS1, like I did, I, I picked that option. Whereas... I didn't realise until like maybe a couple of months after I picked up the game, like I could only play the tanker section if I had played MGS One, or I picked the option which said I'd p- played MGS One. I mean that's just such a weird thing, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean I suppose in a way it's good because it sets people up with what they assume to be the main character, mm. um, and there's enough um, kind of filling in of the backstory in that, in the cutscenes, especially in the exchanges when Raiden first meets um, Iroquois Puskin for the first time. Yeah. Um, you know, they fill in a little bit about who Solid Snake is and kind of they create a myth about him. And then you find out who he is later on. You go, oh, wow, yay. And then the next time you go to start the game, you play as him and you're like, oh, that's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, when Metal Gear Solid 2, I think actually what really grabbed me about MGS2 as well is that uh, it was the first game I sort of got hyped about, like, properly, properly got hyped about. Yeah, it's kind of the same, yeah. Because I, I mean, I remember, I mean, this was back before people were on, before people really had broadband and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it, you got all your information from magazines. I used to read um, the official PS2 magazine and PSN2 as well, uh, which was a kind of unofficial one, but they had a DVD with trailers and stuff on it. And I remember yeah. they had a Metal Gear Solid 2 trailer on. Yeah, and I think it was one of the very first ones. Was it the uh, Was it the infamous E three one? Oh, I I couldn't tell you which one it was to be honest. All I remember is I mean it was all stuff on the tanker. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the E three one. Um, two thousand. In fact, it was something. Really, it was. It was. I remember I was really annoyed with this trailer because I had a moment in which Snake like jumped around a corner to hold someone up and they got surprised and I tried it in the actual game and all I got was an alert signal yeah <laughs> yeah, that was definitely the one for me free it, it must be that one then but yeah. um, I mean I got really excited about that game and then there's only the Enders demo came along and you know I tried my best to do speedruns and all that and that and um, this was fact before my family had a computer and I was saying to my mum 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 I've done this great time on this demo um, can you email this over so I can try and be in, please? And she was, I mean, my mum worked for, um, she's just retired as well. She worked for um, Customs and Excise as well. 
Uh, and she was like, I don't really want to use a government email address for this. And I pestered her enough that eventually she did. And she was, I feel quite bad about that now. <laughs> <laughs> but then, um, had the game pre-ordered online, because obviously it came out 2002, and my family got a computer towards the end of 2001. Yeah. So by this point we discovered Amazon and Play.com and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I remember coming home from school, I think it was, I think it came out on a Friday. It did, yeah. Um, and it was in the package, and I just ripped it open, and it was the, you know, the really cool box art, where they kind of, it was the yeah. orange and grey box art. Yeah, the kind of transparent case. Yeah. And this was after a lot of times playing, spent playing special missions as well. Yeah. The, uh, the kind of the add-on VR pack that for the original Metal Gear Solid. And mine came with a little snake figure actually, it was great, he had a little soak on pistol and everything. I don't remember what happened to him, I think I lost him. <laughs> but um it was I mean when that game came out I mean that was I just sat down and there's sna- there's the snake washing walking across the George Washington Bridge then off comes the cloak the, the the sneaking suit turns on jumps over the the choir kicks in and I get so amped up because of the score because I was like oh wow it's a big Hollywood film yeah because it was Harry Gregson Williams doing it Harry, Harry Gregson Williams yeah. and I just thought that's so cool that's a Hollywood um, composer doing composer like, doing stuff for a video game yeah that, that's that's crazy yeah that blew my mind at the time I was like like hang on this isn't just some uh, well I don't want like this is a Hollywood composer doing a score for a video game like that was kind of an unheard concept at the time compared it to actually now. It actually was cutting edge at the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, these days it's like, oh yeah, we've got, um, you know, Steve Jablonski or whoever doing stuff for games. And that, it, it seems kind of normal now to get big composers involved. But back then, that was just a whole new thing. And I, I really admire the fact that he went for it and he did a great job with it. Because um, oh, that, the kind of, the, the breakbeat score was fantastic in it. Because it was all about, I mean, even the intro before you, before you even start again, before the menu even comes up, it's all the all yeah. the breakbeat stuff it's kind of you know it was um, I'm reasonably sure it was kind of I've read that it was meant to kind of represent the sort of melding between the sort of digital as kind of represented by the breakbeats and all the kind of orchestral stuff that's kind of the old fashioned stuff because the game was all about this kind of old into new passing on genes and memes and all yeah. that sort of thing um, I mean it's, you kind of symbolism was everywhere but just oh when it starts as well yeah. of course I'll, I always the cutscene where Snake tries out his M9 because I didn't want to waste any tranquilizer darts because <laughs> that was the only thing I actually did do that and then of course I spent ages just mucking about spent seeing how long it would take for Snake to get a cold how long till the cardboard box soaks away and then finding out you couldn't get another one shooting up every single bottle in the bar on that tanker <laughs> shooting all the magazines off the shelves just because you could because back then that sort of thing was unheard of kind of interactive soon. Yeah. Um, scenery and you're just like wow that's so pointless but it's great just getting into gunfights just to see that sort of thing happening <laughs> absolutely um, oh. going on about other aspects of MGS2 um, like I keep hearing pe- well not I keep hearing people but like, like there's some people who would arguably say MGS2 is the worst lot obviously to be honest like through you know the character switch between Snake and Raiden and we kind of touched upon them about that but like when you played for the first time as Raiden like what was the reaction when you realised you weren't playing as the snake? Well the thing is I actually um, remember there was a preview in OPS2 of Metal Gear Solid with Raiden in it but they weren't allowed to say anything they weren't allowed to say 
how much he was in the game, or he made this name. I remember there was a caption for a picture of him saying, we can't tell you his name, but it's an anagram of a diner. And I, I mean, I'd never heard the name Ryden at that point, so I just, I didn't have a clue. I was like, I want to know who this guy is. And then, what I found out you're playing, Adam, for most of the game, I wasn't too bothered when you actually see that Snake is there somewhere. Mm. I mean, obviously he's there. You see him in the cutscene, just a glimpse of him, but it's enough that, you, I mean, you've just played as him beforehand, you know? Yeah. You know it's him. You know he's there somewhere, even if everyone's saying he's dead. Um, I actually didn't mind playing as him at all. Um, no, no, I was a little no. annoyed at first because, I mean, you know, it's Snake. Everyone's playing Snake. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, Ryan had a cool spinny kick. <laughs> yeah. And he does little cartwheels and stuff, and that was kind of cool. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I didn't mind playing as Ryan myself. It was just the only thing that bothered me playing as Ryan. Jack, do you know what day tomorrow is? Oh, God, yeah, I mean, I just kind of, I gave it the time of day just because, mostly because Vamp had just come along. Yeah. Um, and I I mean, if there's one thing I've always loved about Metal Gear Solid series, is even though it always follows a strict template of, here's a terrorist organisation, here's the members of that organisation, they're all a bit weird, kill them all and you win. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I like the cast in MGS2, because even, you know, before... Oh. Uh, MGS4 kind of retconned them and made them all, you know, not magical. You know, back when you actually thought Vamp was a vampire and, you know, Fortune for a while you, you thought was actually kind of the luckiest person in the world, able to deflect bullets and the like. Basically immortal. Yeah. It was just, um, you know, it was really kind of rich kind of cast of characters and it was a bit more interesting than your kind of generic baddies that you saw in pretty much every other game. That was out there at the time, save for things like, you know, Devil May Cry and stuff, which mm. was, um, another game that really grabbed me just because it had characters that were a little bit more interesting than just kind of walking gun, essentially, you know? But I, I yeah, I mean, to be honest, playing as Ryan was much the same story as playing as Snake. I just mucked about most of the time. I just kind of did cartwheels into people and, you know, dumped people off the edge of the big shell just because it was funny and. Yeah. <laughs> hearing, hearing the terrorists scream, just you knocked them over the side, go like, ah! It was, it was, I actually find that pretty funny, to be honest. It was, it was, it was kind of funny. It was, it's just a, it's it was, just a game. It was childishly funny at the time, though, considering, yeah. the, considering the age we were playing at. Because, like, I was playing at when I was 11. You know, like, you were playing at around the same age. So, it was fun doing that. Um, even, even, like, things like finding the razor and then seeing him give it to Pliskin yeah. in the cutscene when they first meet. That's, that was pretty cool. Um, I mean, back then, obviously, I didn't understand all of the plot. I had no idea what memes were and things yeah. like that, and passing on jeans, and I had no idea what the hell was happening with Arsenal gear at the end of that game. I just, I mean, the plot was weird, and alright, when you're 11 years old, it's possibly a bit too wordy. But, um, you know, I had a lot of stuff that was really cool, like Song of the Snake was a really cool villain. Because he had this kind of amazing technical suit and the samurai swords. Metal Gear Ray was badass. You had the Harrier jump jet that you fought against. I mean, even though a lot of it was, and obviously this ties into the plot, basically a carbon copy of Metal Gear Solid in a way. Well, that's, um, that's kind of the point. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, it was meant to be a sort of um, rerun of the first Metal Gear Solid ride in Place of Snake. But um, it was just such a fun game to muck around in as well. And Kojima knew that because of all the stuff that he... That he chucks in, like, the ghost photos returned from the first Metal Gear Solid. You had the parrot that would set off an alert if you shot at him. Yeah. <laughs> the magazine, the first time you get the magazine and you see the guard literally jump in the air. <laughs> he goes, woohoo! Like, yeah, like, just jumps on his knees reading the magazine. 
and then he had not realized there was a C4 underneath the magazine, and I'd just go, press the circle button and go, bye, Felicia, no. <laughs> Although that might set off an alert. Yeah, that, that tended to do that. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I like, I like the setting of the big shell as well. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I didn't like on the harder difficulties when you had to activate the node in every single stop. Yeah. That got a bit boring after a while. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I like the location. I like the kind of fact you could explore and measure them in cardboard boxes and stuff. Mm. Uh, and the villains, as I said, you know, it's fast. I just remember about Fat Man as well. Yeah. Oh, it was great. I mean, how many games do you see where a villain is on roller skates? Yeah, that kind of brings me to my next point, the, char- the characters of it. And, um, like, I just remember, like, Fat Man, oh, I had so much trouble with him. Like, and I even had to go as far as phoning my cousin to kind of figure out where the last bomb was. Uh, you had to defuse after killing Fat Man. And I had to phone my cousin, who had no clue what I was talking about, even though he was kind of a, uh, a gaming nut as much as me. Uh, at least according to my aunt, anyways. Um, but yeah, I, I called him, and I had no idea where that last bomb was, and he had no clue what the fuck I was talking about, to be honest. It was, it was just under him, wasn't it? Was it was just under his corpse. And, like, I just clued on me, because, like, I figured, because, like, I was moving bodies around in the game, and it clued on me one morning while I was playing it very late. And I was like, hang on, wait a minute, it's underneath him! <laughs> like, well, there we go. <laughs> There's so many tricks in that game. There's so many endless tricks on you. Yeah. Like, the raven trick as well, and, um, oh, on the tanker, yeah. and, and the fact that, the kernel in the whole game is a trick as well. Oh. I mean, I, I mean that was an. In, I mean, I love the familiarity of it. I, even yeah, though I thought like nothing of the fact that he was saying the exact same dialogue that he was saying at the start of the first game. I just thought, ah, oh, it's just making me feel familiar, just so I know what I'm doing. No, it turns out he's a robot. Okay. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to come back to that because there's part of that which scares me to this day, but there's also a genius to it. But I'll come back to that. Like coming back to the characters, though. Um, like we had Dead Cell, which was um, like it was Fat Man, Vamp, Fortune, and there was one Solidus. Solidus Snake. Um, there was one more from that group besides Solidus. Well, there. there was the mysterious ninja as well, because obviously he did a ninja. In order oh, to... Olga! Yes. Did you forget all about Mister X? No, no, I didn't forget about Mister X. I'd actually completely forgotten about Olga. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like to, I mean, this is going to sound really hot, but it was almost progressive, seeing like, hey look, there's a lady who doesn't shave her armpits, that's almost thoughtful in a way. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty cool. And, and the boss fight between her and Snake on the tanker was pretty bloody good. It actually made you think on tactics as to how to beat her, because like, um, you couldn't just like shoot her right off the bat. Like, you had to shoot the spotlight, you had to shoot the cover off the... Um, the bits of cover she was hiding behind. And you had to shoot the lamp out and stuff like that. Yeah. And try and crawl around so she wouldn't see you so you could shoot her from a different angle. Yeah, it was pretty great. Uh, and of course, Ocelot as well. Who, even though, I mean, he wasn't there as such. He was he was just in the background. He was a main character that drove the story for, but nothing else than that. I mean, he's, I still think he's a great character. Just oh. that sort of Western gunslinger who manages to fit into the modern world. There's, of course, Emma Emmerich as well. Oh, Emma Emmerich breaks my heart. Every time I think of Jennifer Hale, I don't think of Femship. I honestly think of Emma Emmerich. I completely forgot that was Jennifer Hale. Well remembered. <laughs> and then, of course, brother! Liquid. Yeah, I thought that was weird that he was in his arm. Of course, I mean, again, before Metal Gear Solid 4 retconned it all and gave it some logic where it's like, oh, okay, he's actually just inside the arm. All right, that's not weird. 
you kind of went with it because it was Metal Gear Solid, because it's just that little bit kooky batshit crazy. You're just like, yeah, it's fine. It's just Metal Gear Solid being Metal Gear Solid. I want to kind of actually skip back a bit because, like, I mentioned Emma and it took all, like, for those listening, last year I did a uh, feature piece with Jennifer Hale, uh, on Jennifer Hale for Eurogamer. Mm-hmm. And it took all of my restraint not to basically fanboy out about Emma Emmerich. Like, I could, prob- <laughs> I could probably ask her a few questions about being Naomi Hunter and all that there, but it took all of my restraint to kind of not fanboy all over about Emma because I love, like, like don't get me wrong, I love Femship, I love Rosalind Latisse and Bioshock Infinite, but, and, and Naomi Hunter, but like, when I think of Jennifer Hale, I honestly think of Emma Emmerich and that death scene between her and Oscon in uh, the Shell One Core around uh, outside Arsenal Gear's entrance. And that, yeah. and that just like broke your heart, didn't it? It was, yeah, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was a series in which you hadn't had that much loss in it, especially innocent loss. Like in Middle Gear One, Grey Fox died, but I mean, he'd, I mean, he was pretty twisted up and he said himself that he wanted to die and you thought, right, okay. Fair enough. And then you had the Dark Chief and Kenneth Baker. Mm. Um, but they kind of both fell victim to a virus that wasn't your fault as such. But then Emma Emmerich, who just... I mean, alright, she was responsible for a lot of the programming of... Um, Arsenal Gear, yeah. Arsenal Gear's um, AI. And then, then, of course, she programmed the virus that would go into GW and, um, you know, mess it all up. Mm. And you felt really really bad, especially because you'd gone to lengths to protect her. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and it was not just that, it was the reunion as well, with Otacon. Yeah, it was just, it felt like, you know, I mean, here's a guy who's been pretty hard up in his luck. You know, he falls in love with a woman who basically has to die, first of all. Mm-hmm. And then spends most of the rest of the time being a loner, and then when he finally finds his sister again, she dies right in front of him. Yeah, and even before that scene, like, there's really sweet moments in there, like, um, the, after you rescue Emma and you have to do the first section of Shell 2 swimming and she can't swim so she's on your back but after you go into the area where you face Famp and she kind of tells you the story about her and Hal growing up I thought that was really sweet yeah apart from all the kind of the dark family history behind it oh yeah 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 and then yeah and then and then once you go outside that door she kind of all goes very technical geeky about the Y2K bug and I kind of found that very endearing it might might have been a bit too wordy for some fair enough it was but like yeah I I really loved that to be honest I mean that's what I found it um, when I replayed it more recently I mean back then um, you know towards the end of the game Snake Garp starts going on about genes and passing things on and things like that. And by then I thought, that's a bit weird. Snake, you're meant to be like a badass mercenary. Why are you talking about genetics? But now looking back, I'm like, hang on, Snake's probably a reasonably clever guy because he's able to do all this stuff to outsmart his enemies. The guy's probably got a bit of spare time, so he might read up on this sort of thing, especially because he's a clone. I guess I give him, give him his dues these days, <laughs> you know? It just, back then it was a bit weird, but... You know, that was back when I liked skipping cutscenes a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I still... There's just so much about these games, especially about Metal Gear Solid 2, that I love, 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 love. Just because there's not a single part of it doesn't feel like it's been inspected and 
gone over in some way, shape, or form. Especially because I, I ended up picking up Substance, the special edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which came with the skateboarding demo. <laughs> <laughs> and the Snake Tales, because people wanted more Snake, and all the VR missions. But it also came, the first run came with a disc. The document of Metal Gear Solid The document of Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, which I perused endlessly. And I went over so many things and all the little documents and all the extras and you can muck around with the soundtracks and see how they'd evolve using the game engine just like bit by bit so the soundtrack was always changing. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you kind of, you sat back after a bit and I just just thought, so much effort and attention has gone into making this game and you, you felt like you were playing something special. Even little things you hadn't noticed at first, like the fact that Jack and Rose, you know, riding this girl, and are named after the characters in Titanic, which was I thought was a bit weird and silly, but yeah. it's just little touches like that. But you're like, every little thing has been so purposeful in this game, and it still manages to be absolutely mental. The elements of the game, like name an element that you liked about it, what you hated about it. So, like, what what elements of Metal Gear Solid did you like completely? Um. It's not quite freedom, I guess, but um, the, the kind of the freedom that you did have to kind of roam around rather than... Um, I mean, obviously in a lot of games, like, you know, a lot of first-person shooters and stuff back then, it was just a case of, you know, go to this point. I mean, I bought Time Splitters, the original one, not one before that, and mm. the story missions in that were... They were fun, but they didn't really have any um, kind of overarching storyline. You kind of ran to a point, shot some people and ran back to the start and that was it. It was all basically expanded versions of kind of multiplayer games modes, except you're playing them by yourself. Whereas in this you could run around and do all sorts and just muck about with stuff. You could, you know, blow up lockers and you could get dog tags and just kind of mess around as much as you liked in an environment or go back to other environments and just mess around there for as long as you wanted and just kind of forwarded on the plot when you wanted which I really quite enjoyed because I meant you could experiment with things like the magazines distracting guards mm. tranquilizers dog tags you know see what grenades were like um, <laughs> you know see what it was like facing off against a full on assault team I actually loved a lot of the time sitting off an alert and then hiding in one of the rooms that the guys would do the cleaning on mm. and you'd see them doing like all the proper military manoeuvres and stuff as they carried out a full cleaning of the room and you had the little TV screen in the corner kind of showing you them checking every corner of the room, working as a team, and I thought that was really, really cool as well. And just once, I found out the hard way, what happens if you smack your face against the locker as well, while they're cleaning out the room, (laughs) and they all go, stop! (laughs) And they open the door, and then you get shot a lot, and you die. But, um, I mean, I guess the one thing I didn't like about the game, it's the the first time you play it through, you've got absolutely no idea what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) And even these days, I still think that it's, and let's be, I mean, Metal Gear Solid 3 wasn't too bad about it. 4, at least give you the option to pause them, I guess. Um, they are all very, very worded games, but we, we know that anyway. Um, mm. So you need to give them the time of the Because the investment, the investment when you watch the cutscenes is usually worth it. It's just some of them are just so steadily wordy, and you're just like, how long am I actually going to get to like, sneak around people before you do this to me again? But that's always been a kind of love-hate thing about the Metal Gear Solid series, is that you kind of... you. It's a great story, but God, you need to be so invested and ready to go through with it uh, mm. in order to enjoy playing it and sitting through the cutscenes. Yeah, uh, it's, it's something that makes the game terrible to play on the Vita if you're on the go. If you're sitting at home playing the HD collection on your Vita, that's fine because you can plug it into the charger because you're going to have to <laughs> if you want to make it through the game. I mean, you could you could rush the game. I mean, I managed to do it in two hours once. 
the whole thing. But if you want to actually sit and go through the cutscene stuff, you're going to need to plug your Vita in, and you're oh, going yeah. to need to sit there and, you know, digest every single cutscene. And it works really well on the Vita, to the game's credit. Yeah. Uh, the guys at Bluepoint did a really good job with oh, yeah. um, bringing it over. Um, yeah. I guess that's the only thing that I'd really take issue with, is just the wordiness of it. Well, I said, it's a love-hate thing. I love the plot, and I love the storyline, and it's all really well done. And especially those days, that sort of level of storytelling was unprecedented in games. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a love-hate thing. I understand why they did it, uh, and I like it, but sometimes it does feel like it drags on a little bit, I guess, if I was being really picky. So, if I had to ask you to rank the series, how would you go? Obviously, MGS2 would be top, and then I assume MGS2 Yeah. Um, I'm, I actually do think Metal Gear Solid 3 would be my second favourite one. Oh! Um, because I really like that. I like that they learned a few lessons. They made the cutscenes a little easier to digest. They made the story more coherent as well. Because the story of Metal Gear Solid 1 was pretty coherent. And in Metal Gear Solid 2, they just went full, you know, Faust on you, I guess. And just all the philosophy stuff was in there and all the stuff to do about Arsenal gear and that, which at 11, 12 years old, I didn't have a clue about. Hmm. But in the third one, it was like, you know, they, they'd done a little bit to kind of James Bond it a little bit. So there was the, the kind of the theme song that was like a Bond theme song, the kind of the pre credit sequence, the stuff that happens on the Virtuous Mission. Hmm. Um, and it just, it, you know, it felt a little more, not refined as such, but kind of, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to put this to be honest actually. I mean, I, I love to, I love to out of all of them the most. Um, but there was something about free as well that was a little more kind of down to earth and fun about it. Maybe it was the fact that you had a little bit of a forest environment to run around in and yeah. it, it went beyond corridors. Even yeah. though at the end of the day the, the forest that you were in was just a glorified corridor because there were de- definitive boundaries as to where you couldn't, couldn't go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but I really, really liked free as well. It's definitely probably my next favourite. I guess after that I'd probably list Oh, jeez. I'd probably list Metal Gear Solid 4 after that. Um, and then it'd be a weird kind of divvy up between Metal Gear Solid 1 and Peace Walker. Because I like Peace Walker a lot, but all the micromanagement stuff annoyed me a bit as well. The fact you'd have to manage all your soldiers and do your teams and, you know, research weapons and stuff. But a lot of the time, you know, all the, the useful kind of stealth weapons were the, the, like the wrong end of the upgrade tree. Hmm. Um... As far as I remember, anyway. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was fun, but I, 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 no, I, I mean, I like Peace Walker. It's a great portable game, but um, I guess I put it and the original Metal Gear Solid on a kind of par for different reasons in a way. Like I wouldn't say one's necessarily better than the other for entirely unrelated reasons, basically. But um, I mean, Metal Gear Solid Four was just—I mean, that was the game I basically bought a PS3 for. Um, and seeing Snake become this old man. And, you know, kind of watching him crumble apart a little bit and seeing closure to his story. I mean, that was that was a massive, massive moment for me because this character died basically. He, I mean, some people have like the Terminators, the action hero, or John McClane, or but no, it was. I mean, it was weird. It was nice, kind of weird in a way, I guess. Um, seeing an action hero that had basically been my action hero for like most of the time I spent growing up, kind of see his story end as he gets old. Was it was nice? It was nice, kind of seeing closure for him in a way, even though he's a fictional character. <laughs> um, it's, it's just such a great series. And now that I've done this, I'm kind of in the mood to go back and 
I mean, I've, I replayed the first one a little while ago, so I'm tempted to grab the HD collection on my Vita again um, and play two, and then three, and then dig out four, and then go through Ground Zeroes again. <laughs> and hopefully by the time I've done that, the Phantom Pain will be ready, and we can finally work out what that game wants to be. Because <laughs> I've still got no idea what's happening in it. <laughs> Honourable mentions time. Bring it on. Honourable mentions. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a few other kind of honourable mentions. Some stuff I mentioned earlier on. Um, other stuff I'll yeah, yeah. mention now. I'm just trying to remember. Um, yeah, I mean, the Melga Stone series. We mentioned um, Burnout Paradise earlier on. Yeah. Um, I loved that game because I loved what it did with multiplayer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was before I got into really playing a lot of games online. I mean, I played oh, the Odd Race and Motorstorm and things like that, but that was before a lot of games outside of stuff on PC, like Battlefield and the like. Um, before games really started taking multiplayer really, really seriously. Back when it was a kind of, it was a thing that some PS2 games did just for a bit of novelty, and even then you had to buy the network adapter for it. That said, I will never forget the games of Destruction Derby Arena that I had on PS2. Those were the days. <laughs> <laughs> Bit up. I mean, Burnout Paradise understood what multiplayer gaming should be. It should be instant. It should be there should be a lot of feedback. You should feel rewarded. You feel like you're, you're having fun more than anything. And other games have done that since in a lot of different ways. But I feel like Paradise and was the pioneer. The fact that you could just press a few buttons on the D-pad, you know, in five seconds later you'd be in a multiplayer game. No loading screens. No waiting. You were just in a game with other people, and that was it. And you could muck around. You could race. You could do challenges together. Or, you know, occasionally you see people doing, uh, what was it, what did they call it? Showtime, I think it was. They kind of, the yeah. crash version of Pirate, and you just see them bouncing down the street, and it was crazy. But it was just, it understood what multiplayer was. You didn't have to have lobbies where everyone waited forever. You just jumped into a game with friends as well. They made it easy that you could jump in with friends as well, which was great. Um, and just muck about. And it was fun just because it was fun to muck about, rather than being better than each other or whatever. And plus there was all the challenges and battle rolls and drifts and, you know, jumps and all that sort of thing. So everybody had a fair shot of being good at something. Um, it was just, yeah, I mean, I, I love that game because of that and because it felt like a kind of swan song for Burnout. What about others? Because um, there's another series you've mentioned previously, which is pretty close. Uh, recent series, I mean, anyways. Yeah, um, I mean, the Grand Christmas series, again, I mean... As I said earlier on, I pretty much breathed, lived, breathed, ate, drank, slept racing games um, for a good bit of my childhood. It was all I played. And uh, I mean, as much as I love Ridge Racer, don't get me wrong, I've played every one apart from the sixth one religiously. Mm. Um, but the Grand Trismal series just grabbed me because, well, like I said, I mean, pretty much every young person, young guy at some point, and of course a lot of young girls as well, just love cars and love the idea of cars, even if you're too young to legally drive one. Mm. Um, you know, this is back in the days when Top Gear was actually a consumer advice show. Back when the intro was yellow, back when Jeremy Clarkson had brown hair, and he'd sit and drive in the San Micros and go, oh yes, this, this is a very sensible investment, blah 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 blah. And, and you know, my dad used to watch it, and I'd remember when the, the original All the Brothers recording would come on and stuff, and then 
I got this Grand Turismo game and it was great even though I didn't really play it properly because I bought an action replay and gave myself a bajillion credits and just bought all the cars. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was really good fun. Because, I mean, I wasn't very good at it, so I kind of compensated for that by buying really powerful cars, buying all the upgrades for them, and then demolishing the competition like that, even though I drove into all the walls. <laughs> and then the second one came out with a scratch-and-sniff disc that's not like petrol for absolutely no reason whatsoever. And I got into that one a little bit more. You know, I, I understood what Grand Turismo was. You started out buying this terrible, terrible used car with, you know, about five horsepower and it would go about ten miles an hour. But then you went a race in it and it was like, woohoo! And you, you, it made you work to be good at it. So you did all the license tests and stuff like that. Um, and then when you, you had enough money to buy a new car, you were like, you kept the old, I kept the old ones. I couldn't bring myself to sell my old crappy used car that I bought at the start of the game. I thought that's my car. Mm. I've 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 raced that. I've built that up. Um, I've given a lot of upgrades and stuff. I just I can't bring myself to let go of that car now. It is my car. And then Grandson Three came along and oh god, I, I can embarrass myself again here. I played Grandson Three about a week before it came out in Hamleys in London, and the shop assistant wouldn't let me watch my replay. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> I felt oh I just it's really dumb looking back but I'm, I'm I can look back on it and laugh about it I guess because I don't know I, I I guess I had a lot of passion for those games I remember I drove an, an orange Vauxhall VX220 around a track called Midfield Raceway mm. which was um, from the Grand Turismo 2 so I knew the circuit as well but it wasn't really until Grand Turismo 4 that I properly started to get everything. Like, I started understanding and looking into what all the different settings did when you tuned your car, what it meant to adjust suspension dampers and the ride height, gear ratios and things like that. And I started actually learning a bit about cars and stuff. And it sort of, you know, you get these ideas in your head going, wow, I wonder what it's like to actually own a car and stuff like that. And you get all excited um, as you start building up this repertoire of racing cars and you actually get good at the game. And then Grand Turismo 4 came along and, you know, the concept games and the prologue games and I ate up every single one because it just, it was, it was as close to the dream as you get, um, of having a car and that was just the dream of the world because, you know, I'd, I'd go and learn all the names of cars and what they looked like and how much horsepower they had and I'd sit like, you know, my dad drove places and I was in the car at a point and go, that's a Ford Fiesta, it sounds 70 horsepower, yada, yada, yada. It was really sad and nerdy, but it was just, it was something to be passionate about, you know? It was something that I thought was really interesting, that Grand Turismo kind of got me interested in. Especially when you start finding all these cars that no one had ever heard of, that in fact Grand Turismo gave to the world in a way. Like, before Grand Turismo, nobody knew about Mitsubishi Lancer Evos or Subaru Impreza's or Nissan Skylines or anything like that. And it was really only after those games came out that people started importing them because they realised, oh my god, these cars, are, these cars are great. And then they started coming out in the UK because people were importing them so much. Um, and it's a great example of how games have had an impact on a culture because without those games, people might not know about those cars. Other games probably wouldn't have included those cars without Grand Turismo introducing them and going, guys, check out this car. It's got a Nissan Skyline and it's really cool. There is one more game in your honourable mentions list, and it's not a game we've actually already talked about already, so go nuts. Um, yeah, I mean, the last game was another game I grew up with that I actually forgot to mention earlier on, on the PS1, and that was uh, the Oddworld games, um, you know, Abe's Odyssey and Abe's Exodus. 
Um, now, when my sister bought her PlayStation, it came with a demo disc. That demo was a Crash Bandicoot. Um, Abe's obviously in, oh God, was it Porsche Challenge and Rage Racer, I think, on it? Or something, something like that, anyway. Um, and we played the Abe, Abe's Odyssey for the first time. We thought, this is weird. This is like, who's this guy and why is he farting? <laughs> Um, and then my dad actually ended up buying the game because he really wanted to play it and I ended up playing it all the way through and um, getting the bad ending the first time because I was nine at the time <laughs> but then I actually it was the first strategy guide I ever bought was a strategy guide for that game mm. um, so because I, I actually wanted to finish it I wanted to see the good ending this was obviously before YouTube and stuff where you could just go and look at a game and go oh that's the good ending okay fair enough um, but I really liked the game. I liked the trial and error stuff. I liked the fact that it would punish you with dying, but then it went, it's alright, well, you've got infinite lives, so just try it again. And 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 again. Until you finally nail the jump, and then you mess up the next one. <laughs> that, that, that trial by fire concept. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was fantastic, and um, I mean, they made it a little bit better in Exodus with the quick save function. But it was, I mean, there was something just cool about playing a game where kind of an antithesis to Snake in a way, and because rather than being a badass, you were just this guy in like a loincloth, and he was like a weakling and a weirdo, and just well, he was odd, you know. Mm. Um, but it was, it, it's just a really really fun game as well because it was so unforgiving. But yet when you nailed something in it, you were like, I'm great, I'm fantastic at this game. And it was funny as well. It was always funny making like the slugs blow up after you possess them, or making them fall down holes, or crushing them with a meat grinder, or getting them shot, or you know. <laughs> um, but it was a really, it was a nice story as well because obviously you were just trying to be a good guy, saving all your friends, and kind of just just being a good person in that game and saving people from the bad guys as such. But it was also kind of scary as well, because those, the scrabs and the paramites, the kind of the creatures you face later on in the game, really freaked me out. Because the paramites have like, do you still have got like a face for a hand? Not necessarily a hand for a face even. It's just a giant hand that's just like stretching out of them. And the scrabs are just really terrifying because it's this big pointy beak and big spiky legs. And when, and the thing is when they all kill you, they eat you. And it's just really, it was disturbing at 10 years old, thinking, oh my god, I don't want to get eaten. Uh. <laughs> Oh god, that's horrible. But um yeah, I mean I, I love that game and when I finally got a good ending I was just I felt like I was king of the world. And then Exodus came out, um and it brought in all these other things like the blind Madokans that can't see, the fact that people had moods so you had to cheer them up and stuff and you know, you had to use your brain in those games. They made you feel really, really clever. Um so something about them almost really, really stuck on me to the point that um, when they came out on PlayStation Plus, I played them again. When I got a Vita, I played them again, again. Um, I used to have a friend who'd come over from school way, way back and we'd sit and just play Ape for ages and just laugh because it was just so funny. Dying and passing over to each other, finding like the most accidental comedic ways to die when we're trying to be so good at this game and every single time it just owned us completely. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, um, New and Tasty came out recently as well, and I realised the chance to come back to that. And in a way, it's not the same because the guys at Just Have Water have done a, an amazing job on it. I think it's an amazing kind of—it's the ultimate HD remake. The fact that they've taken this 2D sprite-based platformer and remade it in a 3D game engine, like more freedom of movement than ever, rather than stepping so many pixels to the left or the right or whatever. Be taking a game that was originally based on moving from screen to screen and turning it into one entire flowing process 
Um, and of course, all the graphical tricks and details have been able to throw in by using a new game engine with so much more processing power than they had back then. I think they've done a great job with it, but it's not the same game. It's a great game for its own reasons, because you approach it differently from the old games, because you can do more in this game in terms of manoeuvres and the way you can talk to people in the game and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, if anyone hasn't played it yet, I, I think they should seek out both the original and new and tasty and, you know, pair them both up and see what you think. But it was nice coming back to it in a way that I hadn't been able to before. Um, and I'm really hoping that they work on Exodus next because it'd be good to come back to that in a way as well. So if I had to ask what your top three games ever were, what would they be? Obviously Metal Gear would be at the top. Metal Gear Solid 2. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. I'm putting you there, bud. Oh, no. Um, I mean, I loved... I guess, I mean, if I was trying to mix it up a little bit, I guess. Metal Gear Solid 2. I guess I'd probably put... Oh, jeez. Grand Turismo 4 in there, maybe? Mm. Or 5? Oh, jeez. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One of those will be number 2, I guess. And number 3... I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. You, you've actually got me stumped. <laughs> I am. I'm terrible at picking favourites. I, I just can't pick favourite things at all. I because if I if I go, oh wait that no no wait that because I'd probably say like, oh Uncharted was great, but then I go, oh but so was Burnout Paradise, and then I'd go, oh but so was Devil May Cry, oh but so was Oddworld, oh but so was everything. It's just that I I think the problem with that sort of thing is that there. Are, and this is a great testament to the games industry. There are too many great games out there mm. for me just to pick three. And to be honest, even my number one and number two, I'd probably spot them out a million other things at the same time as well. Metal Gear Solid 2 stands out to me because it was the first game that really grabbed me, that got me excited to play it before it came out. That when I played it was just, it was like the greatest thing ever. The fact that I can still come back to it and still learn new things from it. The fact that I'm learning things from it while learning how to do new things inside that game. Um, the fact that even these days it stands test of time I mean these days there's a lot of games that came out around then that I thought were probably great like the original Burnout as I said earlier on is so frustrating Mm. because it's just it's a little bit broken in a way you know I mean maybe they left it that way on purpose maybe they ran out of time before it had to go gold I don't know but these days I probably look back at it and go it's not as good as I remember it because there's so many things in there that these days we just don't like seeing in games, like frustration where it seems like there shouldn't be. Um, I just... There are too many great games out there that I've been fortunate enough to play um, to honestly make a, a, a formal, finalised top three. I mean, all the games that I've mentioned would be up there, and I just constantly swap them around, probably depending on what time it was, what the weather was like outside, or how thirsty I was, or whatever. Um, so basically my top three is I don't know (laughs) Um, yeah uh, I guess if you want to follow me on Twitter I'm under John Face that's J-O-N-F-A-E-C because I just like being different like that uh, I do writing over Big Red Barrel. I occasionally still do the odd thing on music blog 7-Bit Arcade. 
you can find me at johnface.com. I'm probably in Google somewhere. And if you like things being written or recorded, or if you like photos taken of things, then you can give me a shout. Thanks for listening to my favourite game. Next week, Lydia Ellery on Final Fantasy VII. Till next week, Ares died.